Let's go together, please, to God in a word of prayer. Our great God in heaven, King everlasting, hallowed be your amazing name. Thank you for loving us and for keeping us and for blessing us and for granting to us the opportunity today, another day, to meet and to worship you, to remember Jesus, your great son, whom you so willingly sent to die on that cruel cross of Calvary, and he died that we might live. Thank you, Lord God, for your love, your great love with which you had for humanity, for each of us. These things we do ask and pray in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ, if it be thy will. Amen. The bulletin article that was in today's issue uh, has the words of an Anglo, um, Anglican rather, uh, clergyman. It's a portion of a speech that he presented before the Oxford Union, so out there in, uh, in England. And, and this, this topic is, uh, was presented, or this thought or idea that he had, was presented to a, a group of people that were not conservative uh, at all. And so in view of their issue and our issue and even the world's issue of the trend to accept homosexual marriage, let's consider, I want to consider his message. I want to add some scriptures to it, though, because we've got to have book, chapter, and verse. To avoid plagiarism, if you'll notice in the, uh, the article, um, it was printed up exactly what, as to what he said and the, the, what they claim him to be. So please enjoy that article, and you can use it in and helps uh, to teach others who may have a need. I want to just, if you will, go through his message uh, all the way to the end as far as what the bulletin states, and then we'll add some scriptures, we'll add some thoughts along with that. His message kind of begins or begins like this. We are directly talking about undermining God's plan as we, as he has revealed it to us. We're replacing his authority with our own because marriage is between one man and one woman. Genesis chapter 2. That's a controversial issue. <laughs> Maybe this sermon is controversial. I hope not amongst us. Is marriage between one man and one woman? Well, Genesis 2, verse 21. Uh, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. And for this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and they shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they become one flesh. Not male with male. Matthew 19, please, but male with female, male and female. Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 3, Jesus reminds us of Genesis chapter 2. And today I'm reminding you of what Jesus said regarding marriage. And some, beginning at verse 3, some came to him, testing him and saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? Notice it's a man and a woman, not a man and a man, not a woman and a woman, and the rest goes on. And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So what do we learn? 
there, there are two genders. There's male and female. That's it. There's no in-between. There are no extras. Although the world, the world says there are, and so be it, but this is what the Bible says. And said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. If marriage is no longer between one man and one woman, we open to the idea of polygamy. Are you open to that idea? Multiple men, multiple women, multiple wives, multiple husbands. I mean, when does it ever end, church? When will it ever, ever stop? We disregard the heterosexual aspect, so why not the monogamous aspect too? Someone said, well, love is love. You've heard that, right? Love is love. Well, if love is love, as we're hearing, and if the church is saying the same thing, who's to say that three men loving each other is not more love than two men loving each other? How about five men loving each other? I mean, when does it stop, right? When, when does it stop? And when do we stand is the next question. When does it stop? When, does, uh, when do we stand? And where do we stand as God's people? So people keep saying it. They keep saying love is love. This is, a not, this is not about love being love. This is about marriage, the sacrament of holy matrimony. It is, it is directly connected to love, but it is not the definition of love. Too many people utter those words and confuse the meaning of love. Agape, agape love, the biblical context of love, is divine love. It's sacrificial love. It's not lustful love. People often conflate sex with love, but it's very disingenuous. We've heard quite a bit of that. Atheists often mimic or mock, if you will, the idea that God is love. And without any understanding of of what that means, yes, we agree and we know that God is love, but God is the one who sets the terms, not us. So this question came up. Should we be, uh, as a church, more inclusive? Well, that's a play on words, isn't it? Think about this for just a moment. It's virtue signaling. It's to appear good rather than to be good. The church should absolutely be inclusive. There's no question about that, right? This is a hospital, isn't it? It's made of sick folks, right? Spiritually sick, those who need help. Christ spent time. I'm going to Malachi chapter 3. Christ spent time with um, tax collectors. He spent time with, with prostitutes, But it's they who went away changed, not Jesus. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. I, for I the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, sons of Jacob are not consumed. God does not change. Hebrews chapter 13. And that's really important that we have a stand and we understand that in serving God and taking our stand, God does not change. And we should always obey God. Verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, yes, and forever. And so here's the question to the church. Matthew, please, chapter 9. When did this topic 
become a controversial topic within the church. And when I say church, now I'm going to be inclusive and say in the world of Christendom, right, people who are supposedly believers in Jesus Christ, when does this become a controversial topic? This is no different from any other topic that we may discuss in the Lord's church. The church is open to sinners. No question about that. Of course it is, because that's our purpose, to help people to change and conform to Jesus Christ. And if they're not going to hear the message in the world, they need to hear the message somewhere. That's our jobs, to teach them the message of Jesus that they might conform to the will of God. In Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 9, the Bible says, And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it happened that as he was reclining at the table in their house, behold, many tax gatherers and sinners were, di- were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with tax gatherers and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician but those who are sick. And so what happens is, uh, we're going to John chapter 17, the world is trying to silence the church. The world is trying to silence God, and then this becomes this controversial issue of which we can't even speak of it any longer in the world in which we live. May it never be. May it never be that we are not allowed to speak about Jesus. May it never be that we capitulate, that we give in, that we surrender to the ways of the world so that we learn, if you will, to go along, to get along. It is our responsibility to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It doesn't matter where it is. It doesn't matter whom it is we're speaking to. What if someone, you walked to them and you said, tell me how to be saved. And someone comes up to you and asks you that very question. And because of your fear, or your desire to go along and get along, you refuse to teach them the truthful message of Jesus Christ. That's hypocrisy. Let it never be said that we are that way. In John 17, beginning at verse 14, we're, we're part of the world. We live in this thing, right? The Bible says in verse 14, uh, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You see, the world is supposed to hate us. We're working too hard of trying to get in and fit in, and the world is hating us because of Jesus. Not because of you, not because of me, but because of the message of Jesus. But the message of Jesus is right. And we can never bow down. We will never bow down, church. You cannot bow down and call yourself a Christian, a lover of God. It goes on to say in verse 15, I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. You see, Satan's out there, and that's Satan's world. And God prayed for us. Thank you, God, for praying for us. And here we are today trying to stand and be and do the will of God. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Thank you, God, for giving us a place 
to stand. Our time with the world should not be to encourage people to continue to sin. Our duty as Christians is to help lead people to Christ. To lead them away from sin, to, em- to not embrace it, and to not affirm it. But to call sin, sin. Right? That's sin. Call sin, sin. So have you ever had that awkward moment where, you know, it just happened just last week. You're sitting down in a restaurant, you're eating, and the person comes up to serve you. And you want to be kind, you want to be, gent- you know, you want, to be, you want to be a Christian, you want to be godly, you want to be respectful, but the person that comes up to you, it's kind of mixed up, you know, they're like half woman in their dress and their attire, maybe, maybe a beard or something, and then they're half man, and they're, I mean, you, and you're trying to figure out, is this a guy or is this a girl? And you're like, okay, I want to address this person, and I want to be able to be kind and, and generous and gentle and all those things, but I'm not really sure what to call you. I'm not the one mixed up, church. They are. And when I say sir, and they go, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm a, man, I'm a woman. I go, well, I'm sorry, you look like a man. I apologize. I don't mean to offend you, but I'm just, I don't know what you're going for. Right? I'm not trying to be offensive to anyone in any way, shape, or form. But look, we've got to be open and honest that there's some awkwardness going on in our world. But we're not the ones who are confused. The world is confused. And what they're trying to do is trick us into believing that we're the ones that are crazy and confused and mixed up. We're not. But here's what we know. The LGBTQ community, they can change. They, they can not only change, they, they can abstain from practicing uh, sin. Uh, and let me just tell you, just making it simple, all we're talking about, Right? We, we may put these, I don't know what you even call this, right? LGBTQ, RS, you know, TUVWX, and you just keep going, right? YZ and AABBCC. I mean, this stuff isn't going to stop, right? Let me just give you one word to just simplify the whole movement. Fornication. So we've got to not treat it like it's uh, the unforgivable sin or, or leprosy. I mean, it, let's be honest, it's just, it's fornication, Right? Any, any type of sin, when, you, when you're thinking about sin uh, outside of a scriptural marriage, it's, it's fornication. And the Bible has something to say about fornication. See, God is much smarter than we are, right? Look, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please. The heterosexual, he has to change. She has to change. She has to abstain. He has to abstain. And so the LGBTQ, etc., they got to change too. Right? There's not like this special group where folks, you know, are trying to tell us that these are special people in a special group and you know, get into all that. I want to talk about Jesus. There's no difference. It's fornication. What does God say about that? First Corinthians 6 and verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. I love it, right? Don't be confused. Neither fornicators no idolaters, no adulterers, no infamous, no homosexuals, no thieves, no covetous, no drunkards, no revilers, no swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. So you see the importance of our, and our responsibility to help people to realize that this is not from God. You can't go to heaven and live this way. None of us can. God's fair. Can they change? Just keep reading. Verse 11. 
And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Everybody has to change and come to Jesus, right? And there are things that one person struggles with that maybe another person doesn't struggle with, but we still have to change and conform our lives to Jesus. The message has not changed, nor will it ever. Many might say, well, you know, it's not fair that they must abstain. I'll tell you what, whether we say it's fair or not, it's right. And it's good. The hypocrisy of this whole issue is the Bible says that the lifestyle, LGBT, you know, I'm going to get sick of saying that. It's a lot of, anyway. That lifestyle is wrong. But many now, even in the world of, I'm going to use that word, Christendom, right? Even the word Christendom are now saying, you know, it, it's right. So that now, now um, here's the frustration of the, this group, the LGBTQ group. They're saying, wait a minute now. You guys told us we had to abstain, and you told us we couldn't live this type of lifestyle, and now you're changing your, your mind? And so then the LGBTQ group, now they begin in their despair to say, you know, I, I abstained for nothing. I could have gotten married a long time ago and lived my life according to my emotions. They might be saying to us, wait a minute, you're telling me as a, as a church that you were wrong all along? And then this is the sad part of this whole conversation is that that's what so many today churches are doing. They have given in and they're saying, well, you know, maybe that's not what the Bible says. That's exactly what the Bible says. So then the LGBT group Q says, I've wasted my life. But the church isn't wrong. Right? Okay, I'm just checking. The Bible isn't wrong, right? All right. As Christians, we're called to be uh, in the world, but not of the world. In the secular world, we, are already, we already have equality. If you think about uh, this, this movement, and they're saying we need equality, well, you already have equality in the world where you live. I mean, this is a worldly thing. They already have equality. In fact, they can go out and enter into a uh, partnership and uh, even gay marriage outside the church, um, and that's their prerogative if that's what they choose. But in the faith, in the faith, in the church, the church is inherently discriminatory. Because God is discriminatory. Because God sets the conditions on us entering into his heavenly kingdom. In other words, life is not a free-for-all. You can't just, just do whatever you want to do, church. We cannot do, we have, there are laws that, that we have to abide by in the word of God. So we must turn away from sin, repent, follow Jesus Christ, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's God's responsibility. God is telling us that's our responsibility. He's given us a law. He's given us commandments. He's told us what to do. He's told us how to live. So I want to be specific that it is sin. And sin is the problem, Right? Sin is the problem, and we all know this, it's not necessarily the individual or the sinner. Sin, we know, is the problem. Every single person we know is loved by God. God loves the world, right? John three sixteen. But God expects the world to change. 
And God expects the world to be what he expects them to be. Every person has to turn away from sin. Every person has to turn to God and follow the laws of God. And we have to separate that, that sin, that thing you're struggling with, from the individual and help that individual to make the necessary changes in their lives. That's what we need to do as a church. Proverbs chapter 6. We need to remember that uh, even though I don't struggle with that necessarily, uh, that particular thing, whatever it may be, that lustful uh, a mindset or that covetous mindset or the lying or cheating or maybe I don't but I've got my own stuff though right and you can say the same thing about yourselves we're all trying to become better we're all trying to do better and let's be honest the LGBTQ community uh, they're invited to our assembly of course they are where else are they going to hear about Jesus and you know what we're going to do if they if they come we're going to preach the same gospel we're not going to preach a special message. We're not going to change the message. We're not going to alter the message. Well, you know, preacher, we've got to make them feel comfortable. If Jesus doesn't make you feel comfortable, you will never be comfortable. Proverbs 6. I want you to think for just a moment now at, at, the, at what's stated in this text. Proverbs 6 and verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates. He has seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Six things the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination. And then Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 12, as he walked amongst people who were practicing those six things, says... Here's the golden rule, if you will. Here's the message of God. Whatever you want people to do for you, so do for them. For this is the law and the prophets. How did Jesus live amongst those people who were practicing the very sinful things that he not disliked, but that he hated? Jesus wasn't a hateful person. And we're not to be hateful people, slanderous and, and evil. We're to be kind and gentle and treat others the way that we want to be treated. Some of the things that you might struggle with, you don't want people to tease you about it right, or make fun of you. We've got to be the kind of people that are very genuine in our faith and looking out to save those who are lost. Here's what happens. If they can't come to God's people, who are they going to go to? Satan. If they can't come to God's people, they're going to go to those who are opposed to God, and then all they're going to hear are supportive messages about why you shouldn't have to abstain and why you, you know, why you should go by your feelings and follow your heart and all those kinds of things. So this clergyman who uh, was speaking at this, uh, this particular event, he had this plea, and, and he's talking to you know, the people whomever were, were there, the religious leaders, and here was his plea. He said, do not lead us astray. Do not lead the people astray. Do not be the wolves in sheep's clothing. Do not be the false teachers that the Bible warns us about. Remember your obligation to defend the faith. Stop teaching about diversity, inclusion, and equality, and get back to teaching about redemption and salvation. This is spiritual neglect. Help people by telling them the truth. 
Be kind to people by supporting them through those struggles and reminding them that Christ suffers with them. If they are trying to abstain from sexual sins, Christ will help his people. We are struggling to be faithful ourselves. This is for me, right? Uh, we're also fighting. We ourselves are fighting against our own weaknesses. He goes on to say, be compassionate by leading them to Christ. And when the world tries to lead them away from him, Satan is trying to keep them from coming to Christ. The church is imploding and the faithful masses have stopped turning up on Sundays and we are seeing the most rapid decline of Christianity in this country. He's speaking of in England, but we're struggling too, right? And then the clergyman from there states the next problem or reason for that whole Oxford Union while they were meeting together. And I'm about to close and, and let you go in a minute. Let me just read this part. Do not accelerate it with heresy. You do not have the authority to bless sin. Oh, now I get it. They were discussing blessing the sin of this LGBTQ movement, homosexuality, lesbianism, etc. And he said, don't deceive people. He goes on to say, when I hear the Bishop of London on record saying, these new prayers will mean priests can bless same-sex relationships, some of which may be sexual in nature, I hear the devil at work. Bishops are promoting the idea of sacramental sodomy. Let them be anathema. Repent. And to the rest of you, I have no doubt that some of you will consider me to be a bigot or a transphobe or a homophobe, but I am neither of those things and none of those things. I am simply a follower of Christ, a Christian, and we are naturally counter-culture. And then he states the other problem. The next problem he states is this. If so-called liberals, and I love this thought, were truly diverse and tolerant, they would embrace us just as they embrace everyone else. Right? Well, they're telling us, oh no, you, you Christian folks, you have to embrace this movement and these people who are opposed to Christ who refuse to change. And yet they're not willing to accept us on the other side who refuse to change. The point has been made, but the growing Christophobic attitude around this public debate and the ugly level of hypocrisy is that we rarely see people hold Muslims and people of other faiths to the same expectations that they hold Christians to. Who is calling for the Quran to be updated to modern societal norms? The same patronizing attitude of people that patronize other faiths while being intolerant toward Christians at the same time, that is hypocrisy. And then he says, it is a shame. Our last scripture is 1 John chapter 2. Beginning at verse 15. The Bible says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, it is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God abides 
forever. I close with his concluding thought, and that is this. In the words of St. Athanasius of Alexandria, if the world is against the truth, then I am against the world. He stood before these folks and he said all of this. I wonder what happened to him. (laughs) I don't know. I wonder what message I get to hear this morning. I don't know. We will not change. We will not bow down. We will not capitulate. We're not going to go against God to make others happy. Because true happiness can only be found in God. Let's help them. right? Let's help others who are struggling to learn the truth about God. But we can't help them if we knock on their door like the old evangelists used to do and say, want you to know, first of all, you're going to hell. That's not how you start your conversation. <laughs> you might start your conversation with a blessing instead of a curse. And this morning, uh, I pray something was said just to encourage you a bit, just to be strong and to stand for Jesus, even, even standing opposed to what we know to be evil and wrong. If you're not a Christian and you would like to become one today, the same gospel message for everyone else is for everyone else. It's for all of us, for all time. Now we hear the word, we believe it, we uh, have godly sorrow in our hearts, we repent, we confess his name before mankind, we're baptized, immersed in water for the remission of sins. And then we walk with Jesus forevermore. If you're struggling in your walk of faith, if we can help in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation.